We are continuing in our series called uh, All Together Now. This idea that for the last several years, the church has been separated from uh, one another, in some ways uh, divided and suspicious from one another, and God is calling us together with one voice to bring glory to Him. Now, some of you, there's, <laughs> there's some sort of like cognitive dissonance happening right now. Like, it's normal for Ted to be teaching the Bible, but it's not normal for Ted to be teaching the Bible this early in the service. So what... What, what exactly is going on here? Uh, you're not late for church. Uh, you're on time. Uh, so this, this wasn't daylight savings. Uh, but as we continue in the series of All Together Now, uh, last week we looked at being on mission together, and today we're going to talk about worshiping together. Worshiping together. And so the reason why I'm here now is because a good sermon should make people want to sing. Because preaching should always lead to praise. And because the ministry of the word is really just a setup for the ministry of worship. Sometimes we get it backwards. We talk about worshiping to prepare us to hear the word, and I get that, it helps. And we sang a song to inviting God to say what he wants to say, but Loved ones, the point of the ministry of the word is the ministry of worship. When I get to heaven, when, when I enter the new heavens and the new earth, when I'm welcomed into the arms of my heavenly father, one of the things he's going to give me is a pink slip. Where he's going to say, Ted Duncan, pastor, teacher, you are now unemployed. And I will move from the pulpit to the choir and join with singing, join in singing with all of the saints. So today we're talking about the theme of worship. And when we think about all of these things, the worshiping together, walking together, working together, witnessing together, there's, there's really three categories that we're filtering all of these things through. We want to worship together biblically. We want to worship together relationally, hence together. And we want to worship together prayerfully. And so all of these things are happening right now. In our worship service, we're only like 15 minutes in, and we've read scripture, that's biblical, and we are all together, that's relational, and we've already prayed, and so that's prayerful. The, the aim is that when we think about worshiping Christ, or walking with Christ, or working for Christ, or witnessing of Christ, those are, the, those are the categories that we want to make sure. This is what faithful church life life looks like? Is it biblical? Is it relational? And is it prayerful? So today we're looking at worshiping together. Psalm 96, as Abby read to us, talked a lot about singing. And it's, verse 1 says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Part of worship is singing. 
Part of worship in the Old Testament was making sacrifices. Part of the worship in the Old Testament was feasts and festivals and traveling to Jerusalem to come together with the people of God. In the New Testament, the sacrifices, the emphasis on the temple, the emphasis on the festivals, all of that has changed, but singing remains the same. And not only that, in the New Testament, We have this all-of-life worship. We have this Monday to Saturday worship, not just Sunday worship. We have verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 31 that says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Or Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So there is a sense in which 24-7, all of our lives are supposed to be worship. Now, our aim this morning is to simply talk about when the church comes together to worship. So I'm not negating that your work can be worship. I'm not negating that the way that you raise your family in, uh, in worship or steward your singleness is worship or, or the way, there's a number of ways that we can worship. But today I want to talk about when we come together. The title for today's message is simply Worshiping Together. Worshiping Together. Now, when we think about worship though, even if we were to eliminate the whole category of Monday to Saturday worship and all of life worship, if we were just to zero in and try to narrow our focus as much as we could on corporate worship, it's still a massive topic. And it's, it's even really difficult to define what worship is. One author said it's like love. Like you know what love is, but if you try to define what love is, or if you try to get philosophical about it, it gets kind of weird. Worship is the same way. You, you, know, you know what worship is, because we were all created to worship. But when we actually try to define it, when we get philosophical about it, when we start to categorize and compartmentalize the different aspects of it, things can get kind of confusing and kind of clouded. Donald Whitney's definition of worship is really helpful. He says, the word worship comes from the Saxon word, weorthskip, which later became worthship. I'm not a Saxon scholar. I don't know if I pronounced that right. To worship God is to ascribe the proper worth to God, to magnify his worthiness of praise, or better, to approach and address God as he is worthy. As the holy and almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the sovereign judge to whom we must all give an account, he is worthy of all the worth and honor we can give him and infinitely more. Just like it says in Psalm 96, verse 7 and 8, ascribe to the Lord. It's ascribing to the Lord his worthiness, his worth. H.B. Charles has a far more concise definition. To worship is to ascribe worth. The legitimacy of worship is based on the worthiness of the object. Some people worship sex. Some people worship their career. Some people worship success in academics. Some people worship fame. Some people worship money. Some people worship the Maple Leafs. None of these things are worthy of our worship. 
loved ones, as followers of Jesus Christ who have gathered in his name this morning, if, if the legitimacy of our worship is determined, is based on the worthiness of our worship's object, then loved ones, we have the most worthy object. Not only our creator, but also our redeemer and our savior. In Revelation, the, 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 the cosmos erupts in praise in Revelation chapter 4 for God as creator. And then it, it turns up to 11. It gets cranked up even more in chapter 5 to celebrate the lamb who is worthy because he was slain to ransom people for God. So today we're going to talk about what it means for us as a community of believers to come together to ascribe worth to God, to exalt God, to edify the church, and to evangelize the world. What happens when the people of God come together in the Spirit of God, grounded in the Word of God, to sing the praises of the Son of God? That's where we're going in corporate worship. And again, I'm hoping that the sermon will lead to singing. We're going to close the service with an extended time of praise and worship. That the, that the preaching that I'm doing would lead to praise and that the ministry of the word would lead to our members worshiping in spirit and in truth. So four things today. When, when Hope Church uh, lays out its expectations for, for new members. So this is, if you're new to Hope Church, this will be good for you to learn. If, if you've been coming to Hope Church for a long time, then this is a good reminder. But we really ask our members to make four commitments as it relates to worship. And the first one is this, gathering weekly. Gathering weekly. Again, today is another topical message. So we're going to be turning to three or four different passages today. The first one is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. The author of Hebrews has been trying to lay out assurance of salvation to the people that he is writing to. That they no longer need to rely on the temple or sacrifices or priests for their worship. But, but because Jesus had made that sacrifice once and for all. That's sort of the climax, the pinnacle as we come to Hebrews chapter 10. The once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ means that we no longer need the works of the law or the sacrificial system to be close to God. We are permanently and perfectly united with our Savior through his blood. But Paul's danger, or sorry, I always assume that Paul wrote Hebrews, but we don't know who wrote Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is trying to warn against the danger of, well, if it's already done, if Christ already paid the price, then why do anything? Why go to church even in the first place? I don't want to be legalistic about it. If I don't have to be legalistic about the temple or the law or sacrifices, why would I be legalistic about gathering together with the body of Christ. So Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, that we have an obligation to one another to stir each other up to love and to good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, 
there was a season, I don't know if you remember, COVID-19 and all of the restrictions. Some, in some ways, it seems like a long time ago, and hopefully it's a long way in the rear. There was a time where it was difficult for us to all come together, and we tried to as a church family. You want us to meet in group, groups of 10? Fine, we'll meet in 50 different groups of 10. You want us to meet in groups of 50? Fine, we'll meet in 10 uh, groups of 50. And we tried to encourage the gathering. Some of us were able to gather. Some of us felt comfortable gathering. Some of us didn't feel comfortable gathering. But my concern is the same as Paul's concern. Have, have we developed a bad habit that just every once in a while we can just tune in online, just mail it in? Or have we developed a habit, even, even for those who, who I'm, I'm talking to you right now who's online, that have you developed a habit of just not coming to church? There... We don't want to be legalistic about this, but we also don't want to, we want to make sure that we're not allowing this to become a habit because we're supposed to stir one another up to love and good deeds, and we're supposed to encourage one another. You know, it is true that you can, you can go to YouTube or something like that at Christmas time, and you can click on a video, and you can play a long, hour-long video of a fireplace. And it looks like a fireplace, and if you get your face really close to the screen, it might feel warm if you have an older TV. But it's not the same. It's not the same as the real thing. In the same way, when God's people come together, there is a fire, there is excitement, there is joy, there is encouragement, there is warmth when the people of God come together. And yes, there are substitutes time to time. Listen to a podcast, live stream a service from another church or your own church. But there is no substitute. Saturday at the Duncan home is like dad cooks day, okay? So it's, it's pancakes in the morning. It's ramen noodles at lunch, <laughs> and it's hot dogs at dinner. So dad cooks one day a week just to ensure that they remember dad shouldn't be doing this every day. <laughs> but we have fun. And there's something, Matt Merker talks about this in his excellent book, Corporate Worship. Listen, the, the ramen noodles aren't that exceptional but we're all together. And we share stories about what happened throughout the week. We, we, we joke with one another. We bond together over food. Listen, my kids could all get nutrient. They could even get better nutrients maybe if they went off and ate on their own in their room. But nutrition is not the only goal in eating. And listening to music or singing yourself or being taught biblical truth is not the only goal of worship. Podcasts have a limit. YouTube has a limit. There's something that can only happen when we come together. Don't let it become a habit to neglect 
the discipline of worshiping together. Think about the the metaphors that are used to describe the body of Christ. We're a temple. We're a priesthood. We're a family. We, we, We can't be dismembered or set apart from one another. We must be together. We're a body. We must be together to do what we're supposed to do. So here's four questions I want you to ask yourself as it relates to worship and gathering together. Here's the first one. Am I present? I'm looking at you, YouTube. Some of you I know have really good reasons not to be here, but not all of you. Don't let it become a habit. We want you here. We want you to be encouraged. We want you to encourage other people as well. Are you present? Are you present regularly? Or has it become a habit that every two or three weeks, you know, you sort of take a church vacation and you do, you do it online? Don't let it become a habit. Don't sell yourself short. Am I present? The second question, am I punctual? Do, do I see church as a legitimate appointment? Would you, would you arrive to work or arrive to a sales meeting or arrive to a t-ball coaching moment at this, using the same principles of punctuality that you use for church? Is church more important than your work? Is church more important than t-ball? then are, are we prioritizing worship by being present? Not just being present. And I know some of us have young families and it's like literally just to get here at all. I know there's gonna be someone who's gonna come in in a stroller like 30 minutes from now. And there could be no judgment on those people because they made it. They made it. And so we're not judging, but again, just are we prioritizing worship? Are we present? Are we punctual? And, and, then, and then are we prepared? Have, have we thought about, I've laid out what the, uh, what, what the message is going to be, are going to be for the next several weeks. A mission, worship, walking, working, and witnessing. Have we started thinking about those things? Have we prayed for uh, the worship team? Have you prayed for me as I get up to preach? Did, did you go to bed at a decent hour so that you're not falling asleep during the service? Are, are you prepared? Are you ready to go? And then the last question is, am I, am I participating? Am, am I fully engaged in what is taking place? And that leads us to the, the second commitment we want all of our members to make here at Hope is that, that we are participating wholeheartedly. That we put our whole heart into our times of corporate worship. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. In the book of Ephesians, Paul has been uh, describing in such beautiful terms the power of the gospel, God's uh, sovereignty in election. He's been talking about the mystery of the church. And now he's, he wants to talk about how then should we live. And he, he's reminding them that they should live by the Spirit. He used the metaphor of drunkenness. Don't be drunk with wine. When you're drunk with wine, you, you, your, your thinking changes, your speaking changes, and your action changes. You don't think properly, you don't speak properly, you start slurring your words, and you don't act properly. Don't be like that. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Same thing, think differently. 
speak differently and act differently, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. And then in Ephesians 5, verse 19, he talks about this is an evidence of fruit of the Spirit. If we are to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, this will naturally happen. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You see how, as we so often see this in Scripture, you see how there's an external action, singing, addressing one another, and then there's an internal attitude of the heart. Remember Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we come together to sing, when we come together to worship, are we putting our heart into it? Are we participating wholeheartedly? Now it would be, Important for us to, to be thinking in terms of what, what are we supposed to do when we're worshiping and, and, and why are we doing? Well, he, here's a list of what the Bible says is happening. When the people of God worship God, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the things that are happening Spiritually speaking, when we worship, we're loving the Lord, serving the Lord, honoring the Lord, praising the Lord, exalting the Lord, magnifying the Lord, glorifying the Lord, blessing the Lord, worshiping the Lord, ascribing glory to the Lord, and building up the church. These are things that, that take place when God's people come together. This is, this is the end game, to love God, to glorify God, to magnify Him, and to build up the church. So that's what we are doing. But then the Bible also describes how we're supposed to do that. How do we let God know that we love him? How do we magnify him? It tells us to sing or to shout or to stand in awe, to lift our hands, to clap our hands, to bow down and kneel, to play instruments, to read scripture, to preach, to give, to practice the Lord's Supper and to baptize. So what we are doing is quite clear and how we do it is quite clear. I mean, it would be a long service if we were to do all of those things in one Sunday. And again, these lists are not exhaustive, but my, my, my question for you is that when it comes to things like singing, are you singing with your whole heart? When it comes to things like clapping your hands, are you doing that with all of your heart? Are, are you raising your hands? Are you tuned into the preaching? Are you, are, you, are you focused during the Lord's Supper? Are you wholeheartedly engaged? Are you singing? Are you too cool for school? Singing is for other people who are kind of more emotionally connected to God. I'm more sort of certain. No, we're all supposed to sing. It's a command. Get over yourself. <laughs> Christians sing. Christians, it's what we do. It, it's a right response to who God is. I love what I, I mentioned Matt Merker earlier. He says, when you join a church, you join the choir. The, the idea of like a, a Christian who doesn't sing, it's, it's, just, it's just not congruent with what the New Testament teaches about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to wholeheartedly sing. But loved ones, not, not just the singing. So are you participating in the singing? Secondly, are you participating in the, in the sermon? Like, I, again, I, I say this about once a year. Maybe I need to say it every week. I'd love a little more interaction. Like, I would just love to know that you're picking up what I'm, what I'm putting down, that you're mowing what I'm growing. You know what I mean? That, 
that, that something is getting through, and amen every now and again, that's not just Robert Jackson or Nigel Hoyt. <laughs> you know, a praise the Lord, preach it, brother, whatever you want to say. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, all right? participating wholeheartedly in the singing, in the sermon, and then in the sharing. We just went through 1 Corinthians last ministry year, and we talked about the idea of structured spontaneity. And in some of the worship nights that, that Jameson and the elders have been leading, we've been trying to introduce those in our, in our worship nights. We also want us to, to begin to see that happening more regularly in our own church. So if there is an opportunity to stand up to the mic and to read scripture, or if there's an opportunity to stand up in the mic and, and to declare something that would build up and edify and encourage the church, is it just going to be the same usual suspects? Or is the whole body going to be committed to whole, wholeheartedly participate in the sharing? And then not just the sharing in the service, but the sharing afterwards. The, the being on the lookout, not just for your friends that are in your small group, but on people who are new or people who are, who, who are older than you or younger than you or have a different background than, than you have to share your life with them. So loved ones, we're, we're committed to gathering weekly, but gathering is just the beginning. We're, we're committed to participating wholeheartedly. And then thirdly, we're committed to remembering reverently. We, we, we will intentionally, on a regular basis here at Hope Church, take time to remember what brought us all together in the first place. How is it that, that, that people from different tribes and tongues and languages and, and nations, how did we all end up like this? Why are we all here together? Well, we're all here because of Jesus. That's great. More participation. More like that. That's perfect. We are all here because of Jesus. When Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the world. And when death entered the world, sacrifice entered the world. The first thing God did for Adam and Eve was he clothed them with animal skins. An animal died in order to cover their shame. And then from that point on, worship involved sacrifice. The next chapter, Cain and Abel. And Abel's sacrifice pleased the Lord. And there was, there was something about the sacrifice, and his sacrifice involved death. It was, it, was, it was an offering from the flock. And then you have Abraham and Noah building altars. And you have Abraham being commanded to offer his own son. And then you have Moses in the tabernacle and the offerings that are there, and Solomon in the temple, that worship always involves sacrifice. And for us as Christians, the only sacrifice we bring, Hebrews 13, is a sacrifice of praise. Because as the book of Hebrews tells us, the once for all sacrifice has been made for us. So just about once a month here at Hope Church, and sometimes more regularly than that, we remember reverently Christ's body and his blood by taking the bread and the cup. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Make, make note of this, uh, uh, that, that this, is, this is looking back. Jesus commanded us to look back, to do this in remembrance of him. Look with me at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that we remember reverently to look back, but we also remember expectantly looking forward to his return. Then look down with me at verse 27. It says, for whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty considering the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse verse 28 tells us to look within. So we look back, we look forward, we look within. We're commanded to examine ourselves. We're, we're commanded to remind ourselves about why we need a Savior, to confess any sins that we have committed. Now, some people think that, oh, I examine myself, and then I know I'm not worthy to take the bread in the cup because of what I've done. That's totally missing the point. Examine yourself. Confess your sin. Believe what 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we practice the Lord's Supper to remember that we need a Savior. And then it says in verse 29, for anyone who drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, Roman Catholics would say that discerning the body is discerning the fact that, you know, the bread is transubstantiated into Jesus' flesh. Well, that's totally missing the context of 1 Corinthians. We were all here a couple of months ago. Remember, church? The body, 1 Corinthians, it's the body of Christ. It's, it's us as, as the church family. Look over at, at chapter 10, verse 17. Actually, it's there for you on the screen. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So communion is not just a time, it's not just me and Jesus remembering that I need a Savior, but it's me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. And saying, I can't claim to be, part of the examining ourselves is that I can't claim to be on good terms with God if I'm not on good terms with my brother or my sister. It's another reason why we remember reverently because we we look at the preciousness of what church unity means. And we take that very, very seriously. We don't come here as a, just a conglomeration of individuals who are using one another to have some sort of personal moment with Jesus. That's not what communion is. Communion is not just us taking stock of our own lives personally, but of of our life as a community, as a body, and to acknowledge any hurts or any misunderstandings or ways that we might have sinned against one another and to make sure that we are making those things right. We remember reverently. And here's a number of things that we Remember, we remember that while the wrath of God was on us, Jesus became our propitiation, that he satisfied the anger of God on the cross, that while we were enslaved to sin, Jesus became our redemption. He paid the price to set us free. That's what redemption means. That that when we were alienated from God, Jesus became our reconciliation. That that, that our relationship was broken and Jesus mediated between us and God. 
That while we were guilty and condemned, Jesus became our justification. He declared us to be innocent. That God now looks at our life as though we had never sinned. Because when he looks at us, we're covered with the perfect life of Jesus Christ. And that while we were defeated, Christ became our victory. And that while we deserve to die for sins, Jesus became our sacrifice. He gave his body. He shed his blood. And we remember that reverently. That God is a giver. And that he gave us his son. And so the, the Lord's Supper radically reorients our lives. Every time that we reorient our relationship with God, it reorients our relationship with one another. So we remember reverently. And then lastly, uh, we give generously. We give generously. Turn uh, one book of the Bible over to Paul's second letter uh, to the uh, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's doing, he's in fundraising mode. There's some churches that are in need of funds and the wealthy Corinthians have uh, a lot of surplus. And so he's trying to appeal uh, to them. And Paul says in, in verse 6, the point is this. He's been sort of meandering around talking about giving and the different needs and how other churches have been giving he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul uses the analogy of sowing, that when a farmer sows seed, the farmer never thinks he's wasting seed, because the seed is going to turn into a crop. In the same way, when God's people are generous with their resources, it's never a waste. It's an investment. Now, there's a whole school of false teaching that says, well, the investment is just that you end up with more seed. But who needs more seed? What you need is a crop. And Paul says it's a harvest of righteousness that gets produced because we're set free from the idolatry of money, which is what prosperity gospel is just feeding Farmers don't want more seed. Farmers want a crop. And so he says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you invest very little of your resources into the kingdom of God, if you are not a generous giver, you will not expect an abundance of righteousness and growth in your life because money will still have control over you, will still have a hold on you. So in verse 8, Paul says, or sorry, verse, verse 7, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. When it comes to generous giving, it starts with a personal decision. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. There's a reason why we use envelopes. There's a reason why we discreetly pass the offering bag alone. There's a reason why we have intentional protocols with our, with our ushers and with our finance team to protect people's private gift that they have decided in their heart to give to the Lord. There's a reason why pastors and staff don't have access to, to giving data so that you can make your own personal, not under compulsion, it says. That no one is pressuring you. 
This is how the New Testament talks about giving. Then look with me at at verse 10. He says, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. Again, the harvest is not more seed. It might be more seed. It might be more wealth. But the ultimate end game, Paul's end game, is righteousness, closeness to Jesus, becoming more like him. So it's, it's a personal decision. It's faith-filled sacrifice. He supplies seed to the sower, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And then all of this is rooted in gospel gratitude. Now, it's killing me not to like go through every single verse in all of these chapters, but it's just the reality of a topical message. So just jump down with me at verse 15. Where Paul simply says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When we remember reverently, when we have a gospel-shaped view of our wealth, when we have a gospel-shaped view of what God has given us and what God has promised to us in terms of provision, we give out of the overflow of the gospel gratitude of the way that God has provided for us. And so, loved ones, these are, the, these are the four things that we ask our members to uh, commit to. And at you know, certain times during the pandemic, um, people weren't able to gather. Uh, at, at certain times, you know, when you get in the habit of, like, uh, trying to sing in your living room while you're watching TV and your kids are screaming, we, we might have got out of sync in terms of our singing. We might have got out of sync in terms of, you know, arriving to church on time and being ready to worship. We might have sort of lost sight about what the importance of the Lord's Supper is. And, and, and we might have experienced some financial hardship and, and had to limit our giving as we were limiting other expenses in our life as well. But God's calling us now, all together now, let, let, let's recommit to these things. Now, each of us has an individual story. Each of us has a, an individual situation that we are all facing. But loved ones, let's just be done with COVID ate my homework. All right, that excuse worked. It worked. It had a lot of play. Well, I was going to do this, but you know, COVID. Like, okay, COVID ate your homework. We get it. All together now. All together now. Worshiping, gathering, participating wholeheartedly, remembering who Christ is and what he has done, and giving generously. And so what we're going to do now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to practice a number of these elements right now. We're going to take up an offering. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to hear scripture being read. We're going to have a couple of young people give their testimonies and be baptized what we're going to celebrate together and worship together as the people of God. So let me pray for us as the bags are being passed along and as the band gets prepared. Let, let's, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would allow what has just been preached to erupt into praise. That you would take this sermon and use it to help us sing, Lord God, because you alone are worthy. We ascribe worth and glory and honor to you and to you alone. 
God, we love you and we thank you. We pray, Lord God, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you, as we humble ourselves before a holy and awesome God, as we lift up our voices high. May you be exalted and enthroned on the praises of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.